everybody. I'm uh, just going to read from uh, Revelation uh, chapter 5 this morning. It should be on the screen. Uh, you can follow along with us or if you have a Bible uh, with you. And then I'm going to pray for us and pray for John as he comes to look at God's Word. So it's Revelation chapter 5. And this is God's Word. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with one loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we welcome you here this morning. Uh, we are humbled in your presence. We are humbled uh, in the knowledge of who it is we come to worship this morning. And Lord, as we uh, open your word and as we see this, this vision and as see uh, this, this might and power and, and worthiness of you, Lord, may we be humbled this morning. May you humble our hearts. May you give us uh, an awe and a reverence of who we come before this morning. May we come knowing that you see us and that you know us and you know all that we've brought uh, to this room this morning, uh, Lord, and that you meet us where we are. So, Lord, we invite you to speak to us this morning uh, by your Spirit, through your Word. Lord, I pray that you'd use John uh, to do that, to, to, to teach us, to, to reveal uh, what you want us to, to hear this morning. Lord, I pray that you bless him as he speaks and as he uh, preaches from your word. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take his preparation um, and just give him your words. Give him a message from you this morning for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, move in power this morning through this place and beyond. Pray for our kids' spaces as well. Pray for their teachers and leaders who are, are teaching them this morning. I pray that they would also come to know and see who you are this morning afresh. So, Lord, move and have your way among us. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ali. Good morning. I've got nothing in the mic. We going? No? One, two? That's us. Good work. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Revelation chapter 5 this morning. Uh, this is where we're going to be today, and I hope you're looking forward to what God has to say to us this morning through His Word. I wonder in your life, have there, has there ever been anything in, in your life that you've been so close to having, something that you've really, really wanted, some, something that you've really, really desired, something that if you think you will have this thing, that will make life complete and you've been so close to it, like within touching distance of it, and unable to get it. Just unable to reach out and grasp it. Once upon a time, there was a, an explorer by the name of Gitan, who was famous for these daring adventures that he would go on. And once this explorer, Gitan, heard of a treasure in a cave off the coast of the Mediterranean. And even though he knew the journey was going to be far, even though he knew the journey was going to be rough and, and entailed danger, he thought it was worth it to go to, to get the treasure. And so what he did was he, he got a, a group of sailors gathered up, uh, experienced sailors, and they set out on this adventure to go to this cave just off the coast of the Mediterranean, to, to see if they could find this treasure. Gitan entered into his diary every single day what was happening, and every single day they were on the journey, something else went wrong or it got more difficult. They were running out of food every single day. The, the sea was becoming uh, more dangerous every single day, and as the days began to go past, men on the ship began to die. They were running out of food. Everything was going wrong. Eventually, however, they did get to the shore, and there was only a couple of them left by this stage. They made it onto the shore very weak, very dehydrated, very ill. They saw the cave in the distance where this treasure was supposed to be. Finally, Gitan's only companion passed away, and there was only him left. At that point, weakened to the point of death himself, he crawled towards the cave. And in his last diary entry, this is what he wrote. So close yet so far away. So close, yet so far away. And he died. 
That's the picture that we have in Revelation chapter 5, where John thinks he is so close, yet so far away. John, in his vision of heaven, is realizing that the thing that he has wanted the, the, the most in his entire life is so close, yet it seems so far away. And that is why we find him weeping. Weeping. Just a note to say at this point, for those who are note-takers amongst us and for those who maybe will come to engage this evening, uh, over the last few weeks, what we've been doing in the youth is that we've been, they've been taking notes furiously. You've noticed them. We've been doing a wee quiz in youth, uh, and it's been going really, really well. Some of the notes are fantastic. Uh, tonight at Engage, we're going to do the same for the adults, all right? Just putting that out there now. Don't let that put you off coming, all right? Don't let that put you off coming, because I'm sure there'll be somebody who knows something about this morning, but, but we're going to do that tonight. But what we find here is John in distress. And to understand the weeping, we have to go back to chapter 4 where we were last week. And there we, we were in the throne room of heaven. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And then all of a sudden it hits you where we are. We are in the very throne room of heaven. He sees the king. John sees the king of the universe on the throne. And the only descriptive that he can give him at that time is the appearance of two precious stones, jasper and carnelian. That's all he can bring himself to say. Two precious stones in the ancient world that he uses to describe the one who sits on the throne. And he is on the throne. Remember last week we looked at this. He's the king of the universe. And the throne, which is repeated over and over again in these chapters, 16 times in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, is a picture of rule and reign and sovereignty, of majesty, of, of being unstoppable, unrivaled rule. And he reigns, the one who sits on that throne reigns and rules upon that throne. That's where we are. So get that imagery in our heads again before we start today. That's where we are. We're in the throne room. John is looking at the one who is on the throne. Remember the 24 elders surrounding the throne. And as he looks, what we see in chapter 5 is this. And I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. Now, not a sword, which you might think might be there. Not a scepter, which you would expect to find in the hand of a king. No, but instead, he holds something far more significant than any of that. He holds a scroll. He holds a scroll. Right, side note here for, for just a moment. Do you remember last week the way as we talked about the language that's used here, the, the apocalyptic genre that is used? Uh, it's, it's metaphorical, symbolic, not literal. 
And here's a problem for those who would translate the book of Revelation in a literal sense. Here's, here's the first problem that occurs, really, for those who would uh, translate the book of Revelation in a literal sense. Who's on the throne? God the Father. You see, the problem for those who would take this completely literally is that this God the Father does not have a body. God the Father is not limited by human form. God the Father does not have a right hand. And therefore, those who would translate the book of Revelation literally, that's a problem. God the Father is spirit. He is not limited by human form. God the Son, Christ, can have a right hand, but God the Father cannot. So what does it mean when it says in the right hand? Well, at the right hand, when you see that in the Bible, at the right hand is a symbol for authority. It's a symbol for a place of significance. That's what it means when it says at the, in the right hand. It is representing a place of honor and authority and significance. This isn't the first time in the Bible you'll read about a scroll. The scroll is repeated over and over again in the Old Testament in places like Ezekiel and Daniel. Now, what is the scroll? This is massively important. What does the scroll represent? What does the scroll represent? So, John sees the, the, the Father on the throne, and in his right hand there is a scroll. Imagery again, not a literal right hand. Imagery in the right hand there's a scroll. What does the scroll represent? Here's what the scroll represents. The scroll represents God's plan for judgment and God's plan for healing, the healing of the nations. It is God's plan to restore, redeem, and make things right that have been wrong. The scroll contains the, the, the rest of history, as it were, the, 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 the breadth and depth of redemption history. That's what's in the scroll. John tells us that it's written on the front and the back. That's unusual. Why is that unusual? Because scrolls in, in the ancient world wouldn't have been written on front and back. They would have just been written on the front. They wouldn't have used both sides. So what's the significance? The significance is that what is contained in this scroll is complete. It cannot be added to. It cannot be taken away from. God's plan is complete. But sadly, it's sealed. It's sealed with seven seals. This scroll contains the authoritative, perfect plan of God, and yet it is completely inaccessible. It is completely inaccessible. And so John weeps. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel 
proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, you have to understand this, no one is found. No one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep because no one was found worthy. We need to know the gravity of what is going on here. John is weeping because the rest of history will not be fulfilled unless the scroll is opened. God's restoring, redeeming plan is inaccessible unless a scroll is open. And you see, the opening of the scroll means not just the revealing of God's plan, but it's actually the launch of the plan. It's the progressive accomplishing of what is written in here, the accomplishing of God's gracious redemptive plan for His people. And the mighty angel calls out, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one is found. And he's weeping. He's weeping because if no one can open the scrolls and launch the rest of God's redemptive plan, there will be no end to the persecution that the church was facing from the Roman Empire. You see the, the, the significance of the context again? Who's the book written to? The seven churches. What are they facing? They are facing unprecedented persecution from the Roman Empire. They are losing their lives. John wants it to stop. John wants the persecution to end. John wants God's redemptive plan for all of humanity to be fulfilled. And there is no one, unless this, someone can be found, there is no one to open the scroll and set the plan in motion to bring this persecution to an end. Without the opening of the scroll, there is no hope. And as I thought about this this week, and as I thought about the application of this to us, how does this make sense to us? Maybe genuinely that's how you feel right now in life. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you feel that there is no end in sight to the persecution that you're facing. There is no end in sight to the trouble that you're in. There is no end in sight to whatever situation that you're going through right now. There is no end. Maybe you feel that God's plan is not going to be fulfilled in your life. Maybe you feel that if this is God's plan for my life, it better take a, a good turn soon. Well then, if that's you, I want Revelation to be as much of an encouragement to you as it was to the first century church, who were being persecuted. Why would this be an encouragement to you? Well, let's read on and see what happens. We don't know, we're not told how long the weeping lasts. Let me just read again 3 and 4, or just, four, just verse 4. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, and these, this verse is probably one of the best verses in Scripture. 
One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of Judah. What does this reference mean here, the lion of Judah? Well, it's a, it's a it's an interesting one. It comes from Genesis 49. It's looking back at Genesis 49, and this is what Genesis 49, 8 to 12 says, talking about the tribe of Judah where Jesus would go. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter, an emblem for judgment, a scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. And he washed his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. When, John, or when the elder says, Behold the Lion of Judah, he's talking about Christ, but he's talking about the judge. He's talking about Christ, but he is talking about him as the judge. This is a picture of judgment. And who it is that will fulfill the judgment of God? It is Jesus. He is the Lion of Judah, and He is the judge. Now, sometimes we don't th like to think of Jesus in this way. Sometimes we don't like to think of Jesus as the judge. We like to think of Jesus as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We like to think of when we get to Christmas, we'll, we'll like to think of baby Jesus in the manger. But we don't like to think of Jesus as the judge. But here, listen, listen to this. I think if we don't look at Jesus as the judge, we are missing so much of what He is and who He is. We miss out on one of the most important aspects of who He is. Because what does redemption mean if there's no justice? What does, what does it mean to be saved if we're not saved from anything? We need to know that Jesus is a judge because if we don't, we don't know what we've been saved from. He is the judge, and He will execute His judgment over those who have not come to Him. This picture is of Jesus as the judge. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That's just basically coming from David's line. He has conquered he is worthy to open the scrolls and set in motion God's plan for redemption.
John raises a still tear-filled eye and looks around and finds the victorious lion. Or instead of looking and finding a victorious lion, a lion, he, instead his eyes fall on what? Let's read it. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll with its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw what? A lamb. A lamb. As though it had been slain. A vulnerable lamb. One who still bears the visible marks of a violent death that he suffered. And this lamb, this lamb is the one who has conquered by what he has suffered. And he approaches the throne and he takes hold of the scroll that is in the hand of the king of the universe. And all of heaven breaks forth in worship. All of heaven breaks forth in worship. A worship that carries through the end of the chapter. Singing and singing that has never been heard before begins unrestrained, exuberant worship. And there's some imagery here that we need to look at, we need to discuss, and we need to explain. Between the throne and the four living creatures, those were the four living creatures that we talked about last week, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns, perfect in power. Perfect in power. Seven horns and seven eyes, perfect in intelligence. which are the seven spirits sent out to all the earth. And when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. The harp is just symbolism for worship again. Symbolism for worship. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Folks, that's a small line in a big chapter, but it has unbelievable significance. Unbelievable significance. The prayers of the saints, many of which have remained without answer for thousands of years, will find their fulfillment in the events that are about to unfold. The continual cries of God's elect throughout history are like the fragrance of incense rising up before the Father. Psalm 14, Psalm 141 says this, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Again, what's the context of the, the book 
the context of the book is being written to people who are being persecuted, people who are praying to God day and night, please let this end. Please bring justice. Please avenge us. It is like the cry of the psalmist, how long, O Lord? And the encouragement again here that as these people read this would be that God hears their prayers and will answer their prayers. They are before the throne, the only place in which they can be answered. Again, for us, maybe we feel that God will never answer. God isn't answering. God isn't hearing. And I want this to be an encouragement to you today, that your prayers are like these bowls of incense that rise before the Father. And He hears your prayers. And He will answer your prayers in His grand sovereign plan. Be encouraged. Then this new song breaks out. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. Here's the point, folks. If you belong to Jesus, if you are trusting Jesus with your entire life, worthy is the Lamb is your song. It's your song, and it will be your song for all of eternity. It will be my song for all of eternity. Worthy is the Lamb. Why? Because the Lamb will not only reveal what is in the scroll, but He will and has accomplished it. He will complete it. He will finalize everything that has been written on that scroll and what it means every place of our weeping, every place where we find ourselves saying, this makes no sense, this cannot be right, how can anything good come from this? Every place of our weeping, He will make right. Amen. That day is coming. Our longings will be satisfied. The loss will be restored. The crisis will be resolved. The wounds will be healed. And the mysteries will be explained. All of it will be made right. More beautiful and more complete than we could ever possibly imagine. Isaiah 65, 17. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. All of our wounds, every single one of them, will be erased. I don't know about you, but that is good news. That is good news. 
Tim Keller refers to this when he's quoting from the Lord of the Rings, says, everything sad will one day come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for once having been broken and lost. You understand this, don't you, that for all of eternity, when we are in the presence of the Lamb, none of our wounds will be remembered. None of our hurts will be called to mind. None of the damage that has been done here on earth will be thought about at all. They will be healed. You're going to have to give me a wee bit of time this morning because we're nowhere near there. This song breaks out, but there's something significant in this song that I want to bring to our attention. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks, we're going old school today. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Far too little do we talk about the power in the blood. Jesus redeemed a people with his blood. All of Satan's strongholds lose their grip through the blood of Christ. When the seven seals that represent God's plan of redemption, Jesus is worthy to, worthy to open the scroll. Why? Because he shed his blood for us. It is through his blood that we have been ransomed as slaves. We are slaves to sin, sin, slaves to death, and it is through his blood that we have been ransomed. It is a matter of good news, of great joy for all men that God deals with us by the blood of Jesus. couple of wee hymns that I want to quote for you this morning. Would you be free? Would you be free from the burden of sin? There is power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory when there is wonderful power in the blood? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. It is through the blood of Jesus that he ransomed a people to himself. But look at what else is interesting about this. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people from where? Every tribe every language, every people, every nation. Folks, this is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is the fulfillment of it. You see, God had a very unique plan to bring the gospel to the nations. Do you ever think about this, who he started with? Who did he start with? Twelve Jews, a mono-ethnic group, one culture, 
by the time we get to the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? Go into all the nations and bring them in. Folks, this is, this verse, these verses, the fulfillment of the Great Commission is our call to go. It is our motivation to go. It is our get out there into the world, make disciples, because until we do that, the plan, the great plan of redemption will not be fulfilled. In, in Revelation 6, we will see that there is, a, there is a definite number of martyrs that need to come in before Jesus will return. There is a definite number of martyrs, those who will die for the sake of, of, of the gospel. But there is also appointed a number of the elect church of God that need to be saved before Jesus returns. So what should that make us do? That should make us go. Make disciples of all nations. This is our motivation. We see here the culmination, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and that should make us go. Again, an old hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. All their guilty stains. But it's verse 3 that has the significance here. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God, all complete every single one be brought home. There is an appointed number of the elect of God who will be brought to salvation before Jesus returns. Be safe to sin no more. Be safe to sin no more. Tell all the ransomed church of God, be safe to sin no more. The fulfillment of the Great Commission. We were ransomed by His blood. It is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation brought before the throne of God. So I said in a, in a Facebook post sort of advertising today, where is all this world going? Because if you're anything like me at the moment, you look at it and you think, I have no idea. Because it's crazy. Like, as I said, we have prime ministers lasting 44 days. We have American presidents, and I'm not slagging the American people here. For anybody listening online, I'm just saying it as it is. We have an American president who can neither speak nor ride a bicycle. And we have the Russians who are fiddling about with nukes. We are in a precarious position as it comes to the state of the world. But where's it all going? I'll tell you where it's all going. It's all going here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. And then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Where's it all going? One day, 
every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where we're heading. That is where we're going. So take great courage in that. Take great strength from that. Take great just encouragement from that. We know where the story ends. It ends in victory for Christ and overcoming for His people. But as I say, one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And if we're following Jesus, that is great news. We can look forward to that day. But every time I say those words, I can't help but think for those who will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and for them it will be too late. What an awful, harrowing day for them. Because we're told every tongue, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. So even those who will be lost... will have the harrowing experience of being so close, yet so far away. Folks, this must motivate us to mission. This must motivate us to go into the world, proclaim the gospel, and make disciples. Just think of those family members, think of those friends for whom it could be so close and yet so far away. And think of that definite number of the elect that must come in before Christ returns. Amen? Amen. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for what you've told us. And Father, we do pray that, just pray, just as, as what we see here in Revelation 5, this unrestrained breaking out of worship would be our expression because we know, we know that we have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. We love you. We love you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you for your redemption plan. Thank you that there is one worthy. And we pray that we would praise him and give him glory and give him honor today. Amen.